Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome into today's episode of the Top Cut Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast. My name is Sunny. I am your host. I am here with my co-host, Caleb. Hello! And I, we are also here with the wonderful, large, avian individual. What's up, Giant Scout? Hey, uh, happy to be back. Uh, I have uh, just flown in from uh, Magic the Gathering, and let me tell you, it is much better here. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. What kind of deck do you play in Magic? Dinosaurs. Perfect. Perfect. I, I would hope for nothing less. Do they have? Do they have like corrupted stuffed animals in night in um, Edith? Yes. Uh, that's what uh, that's what golems are, right? They're just corrupted stuffed animals uh, made of clay. <laughs> Basically, you're not wrong. Uh, I'm more into uh, uh, goblins or pirates. <laughs> hey, there's lots of this game for you too. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and take just a second to thank all of our wonderful patrons. So, a huge thank you to Cam Yang, Austin Johnson, Kane Martin, Great Support HDA, Cyber, Madam Vera's Smugness, Marshawn Jones, Zyphorus, Zephyrius, AD, ABC, it's easy as one, two, three, Anthony Leela, Blackwing Silverwind, The Ascendant is a Floodgate, Branded Fart, Cult of the Eldritch Gummy Bear, Damien Zink, Dank Nugs, Elemental Hero Nibiru Token, Get Nibbed, You Sword Soul Noob, Invoked Fart, <laughs> Mountain Man, Oatmeal Spaghetti, Owen Alvarado, Pig, Rubina Go Chirp Chirp, Rudolph Sneaky Links, Unbanned Number 95, Konami, Understanding and Reading are two different things. So, so true. Virtually Savior's World, What Does Pot of Greed Do? Zingus Khan, Aaron Gardner, Asami, Dragon Maidenless Behavior. I suddenly will get Oh, I forget that that you haven't heard all of these, Skyhawk. So there's Oh, this gets it gets better. I Sunny will give Dylan an episode to discuss Appaloosa. 
The Libromancer Best Deck, Max C Solves Combo, Mystic Mind Duelist, Nordic Best Deck, Old Man Red, Pin Code 143, Ray Powell, Shockmaster Did Nothing Wrong, Slaking It Up, and VFD's Nuts. This is the best community. CMO's Patreon name's got nothing on this. <laughs> I mean, we, we've lost some of the better ones, if I'm being honest with you, because they keep changing them for, to keep them to keep being stupid things. My so far, my absolute favorite one is Dragon Maidenless Behavior. Dragon Maidenless Behavior is pretty good. Uh, I have to say, Blackwing Silverwing the Ascendant is a floodgate. Might be the funniest thing I have heard in months. <laughs> it's it's they, they, these are top VFDs nuts got me the first time I saw it. Yep. They, they, yep. Yeah. There's been we have a whole host of great, great patron names. And we love each and every one of them. Keep them coming. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna be honest. I this is one of my favorite things. I enjoy the patron names. That might be my favorite thing about the Patreon. And the money. The money's nice too. But the names. <laughs> the names are great. <laughs> oh my god. But if you are interested in making me say something stupid, be sure to check out our Patreon. The link is in the description down below. Of course, we want to thank a couple of sponsors. So a huge thank you to Millennium Threads. Millennium Threads is an Etsy store. You can find the link in the description down below. If you saw that picture of me wearing that awesome Top Cut podcast hoodie, or if you've seen all of your favorite creators wearing all of these cool bucket hats and things like that on Twitter, you, most of it's been made by Millennium Threads. So we're cool people. Absolutely. So. If you're interested in getting some cool Yu-Gi-Oh themed attire, apparel, whatever you want to call it, you can find that on Millennium Threads, the Etsy store. The link is in the description down below. Also, be sure to go ahead and check out the wonderful Dragon Shield. Dragon Shield is one of the largest create, one of the largest producers of TCG accessories in the world. And you can find an affiliate link to them in the description down below. If you hear that awesome shuffling sound, that is, of course, me shuffling with some Dragon Shield sleeves. Some of the best uh, sleeves on the market. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, like I, I've said this for a long time. For the money, I think they are probably the best sleeves you can get. There are, I'll, I'm just going to say there are sleeves that are a good bit more expensive that a lot of people feel are better. But I just think that for the price point, Dragon Shield is where it's at. So, oh yeah, no, no, definitely. I because like they're, I just like their matting more than like the more expensive uh, sleeves personally. Yeah, I and agree. I, I can't even tell you the specific reason why. I just prefer the way their the cards like slide together. Yeah, and they obviously have sleeves that'll fit all of your favorite games. They also have deck boxes, playmats, binders, all of those things. You can find them all on their website. If you click the link down below in the description before you shop cost you nothing extra and we get a small kickback to help the podcast out so if you're interested in that again please check out dragon shield and of course if you are buying your cards check out our ttg player affiliate link in the description down below so with all that said let's go ahead and get on into the actual meat of today's episode so we wanted to bring you the listeners something that we i'm just going to be honest me and caleb were not a hundred and ten percent comfortable talking about on our own which is why we brought somebody that actually is somewhat intelligent and has 
like actual success to talk about onto the podcast. Oh yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Scott is right. far more intelligent than us. So he so by comparison he makes us seem more intelligent. He makes us seem more intelligent than we actually are by association. But just uh, by association. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh if you need me I'll be in my trailer. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so with all of that said, we wanted to talk a little bit about deck building theory. So the kind of the art or the science behind deck building, there's a lot of different ways that a lot of different people go about it. But I think that there is something to be said for thinking a bit of an analytical approach to it. That's my personal way that I view deck building. I have certain amounts of starters and extenders and hand traps and blowouts and things like that that I want to fit into my deck list. And I personally like to fit them in at ratios that make the percentages that I have odds of drawing different cards the most optimal for the deck that I'm playing. Do either of you two want to chime in about your overall philosophy when you're building a deck? Um, you know, whether it's going for consistency, going for power seal, whatever, because that, that's not only influenced by deck choice, it's also influenced by your actual deck building, the way that you construct your deck, the 40 to 60 cards that you choose to put in. Bro, I just play what's fun. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i a dino guy playing um, Survival's End. I mean, it's a good card. Because it's hilarious! I have a... I mean, I won, I won the first ever Chalice Line Monthly uh, main decking Survival's End. I will accept no Survival's End slander here. <laughs> but, but gotcha. yeah, I, I think that's something important that gets missed. So to like, to preface this discussion, if you are here to have fun, every card choice rocks. Uh, <laughs> if your goal is to play like a card that you really like and your goal is to make that as good as possible there's maybe a different conversation but if your goal is to just play stuff that you enjoy that is always the right deck building decision if your goal is to have fun so absolutely before any of this it's like if, if you're playing something fun you you are doing you and you are having the time of your life that's that is absolutely, absolutely cool and a super fair way to enjoy playing the game that said there are ways to play in a very fun, creative, and funny way. That's also optimized. Yes. Right. And I think that the best example in the entire world of an optimized, stupid deck uh, is actually one of Skyhawk's favorites. Which is, of course, Terror King Salmon. Uh, 100%. Fish Sonar just got released in the TCG. Terror King Salmon is the best it has ever been. Oh, <laughs> a good card. For those that don't know, do you want to talk us through how the Terror King Salmon deck works uh, and the theory behind it? Okay, so uh, to be clear, uh, I am not the person who created this deck. Uh, I am just kind of the person who has kept it alive. Um, it, it originated from a, an, a Reddit post like four years ago that there where somebody posted... Uh, the deck. So the idea behind Terror King Salmon Turbo is that uh, Terror King Salmon is is an old water vanilla that has uh, twenty four hundred attack and one thousand defense. So to most people, this might be insignificant, but to anybody who has read the Monarch cards, you realize that a lot of their support focuses on 
uh, monsters that have specific attack values, notably 2400 attack and 1000 defense, or 2800 attack and 1000 defense. Those cards don't care if it says Monarch in the name, it just cares about the attack value. This makes Terror King Salmon the least bricky Monarch in the game. Because uh, you can search it with Summoner's Art, because it's a normal monster, uh, it's a level 5 or higher, so you can activate Tenacity revealing Terror King Salmon to, uh, to search for Stormforth or for Pantheism. Uh, but importantly, because it's a normal monster, it also works with Pacifist the Phantasm City, and because it's a level 5 or higher water monster, you can play it with C Stealth Attack to protect all your face-up spell and trap cards. So basically, Terra King Salmon resolves the problem of bricking in Monarchs, because you can never brick on Terra King Salmon. It's far too powerful. Uh, <laughs> so, here's the thing about that Terra King Salmon, specifically. Would you say that since it is a since you're playing pacifist but the card is really powerful would you say that terra king salmon is a pacifista uh that's uh, terrible uh, <laughs> that's so listen i'm currently watching through one piece Oh and I enjoyed the joke. You can l not laugh if you want, but I enjoyed the joke. <laughs> so he's not—he's not a pacifista because he's not Bartholomew Kuma. I have a confession to make to you while we're while we're I'll, on this I'll tangent. I already know where the, I already know what you're uh, about to say. I have, don't say it. I have not seen a single episode of One Piece. I recommend it. Yeah, I'm not gonna hear, sit here and pressure you to watch it. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. Have really I, I'm not gonna sit here and pressure you to months. watch it, but you're gonna watch it. <laughs> yeah, if you have nothing better to do for two months, then fine. But it's a it's a large time investment. It's a worthy time investment, in my opinion. It is, uh, but it's a large. I I, person I I personally believe preaching uh, the the good word of Terror King Salmon is a more valuable worth of a, uh, use of those two months of my time. Uh, Fair. So, speaking of, so uh, you mentioned one of the good examples of fun deck building is Terra King Salmon, but you're totally right that for somebody like me with deck building, uh, I might take a like a super silly concept and, and try to make it as good as I possibly can, and that that's a that's part of a deck building philosophy in itself. Is you can play something casual. Uh, or a deck that is less good, you can still build it in a competitive way. Uh, so you can think about any strategy in this way. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, real quick on the Terra King Salmon thing, that just reminded me. Mm -hmm. uh, so Terra King Salmon being a monarch, Dark Arm Dragon is a mega monarch. The sure. <laughs> yeah. because, because all the things that search the mega monarchs don't search for mega monarchs, they search for 2,000 attack, 1,000 defense. Yep. So you can just add that. You're not wrong. But the main point that we're trying to get across here is that you can optimize almost any deck. A while ago, weren't people optimizing Jerry Beans Man? Yeah. Yeah. Which is fantastic. That's Yu-Gi-Oh! And then Drytron players early on were trying to optimize Hungry Burger. Yeah. Listen, I still hold to that that's a that's a viable strategy. <laughs> and I think a part of the reason a lot of there a lot of people who kind of find themselves like 
it just starting out in the competitive landscape or in the middle of the competitive landscape uh, find themselves like very tired. Like you get you you always get sick of like the top meta decks. Like it happens almost every format. You get tired of them, right? But part of that right. is because because it's good. There are so many more people putting their energy and creativity into optimizing them. There's so many cool techs. And I think King Scarlet actually had a great skit that came out that totally encapsulates the problem. Where it's like, a lot of people stuck in the middle are like, oh, it's like, trying things is, is ridiculous. But then you have somebody like Hani Jawari show up with Foolish Return in their side deck because it's a DD right. pro that plays around Call by the Grave. Right. And it's like, you, you, it's that type, when you have like that many people working to try to optimize something it's obviously harder to find stuff but you can still find ways to be creative and express yourself in deck building while still trying to stay competitively optimal right yeah I think that there's a lot to be said for that so here's where I would really like to start and get into the conversation in earnest is I want to start by kind of defining some of the terminology that we're going to be using. And I know we had a whole episode where we just defined Yu-Gi-Oh terminology. But I think that it would be useful to kind of go through and redefine things like starter, extender, hand trap. You know. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Stuff that we'll be talking about in this specific episode. Right. We're, we're going to define anything deck building related except for Floodgate. That we're, I'm not touching that <laughs> one. <laughs> Save that for Dylan's episode. No, 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 no. I still hold to that we're not doing that one without ridiculous Patreon. Listen, listen, listen. I'm not saying it's not happening, but I'm not saying it is happening either. Exactly. <laughs> so, let's start with starter. Caleb, I want you to start us off here. How would you define a starter? Okay, so I find starter as usually your normal summon, but not always, but... 80% of the time, it is your normal summon that kickstarts your engine. It is the turning of the key in your car's engine to get everything started. Um, such as normal summon uh, Medulce Magellan. Uh, normal summon uh, as the deck I've recently been looking into just because I pulled just about everything for it. Uh, normal summon Marincess Blue Tang. Right. Just whatever gets your car engine running. I think that that's a fair definition. I think, though, that it focuses a little less on the normal summon and more just whatever gets your combo going. Because there are decks that use the normal summon almost as an extender. If you remember Bird Up. Yes, yes. I mean, the normal well, summon was basically an extender in that deck. Yeah, well, that's why I said, like, usually normal summon. But, like, right. 8% of the time normal summon, usually not. Yeah, and... and I would say that most of the time, or in a lot of decks, your normal summon is... Most of the time, your normal summon is your start... are starters. Most of your starters have a normal summon effect, such as elements like our Stratos, right? But there are also starter cards like Tri-Brigade Fractal, which can get your entire combo online and never use a normal summon. So um, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. But you're adding an asterisk. Yeah. I think uh, modern card design too has kind of blurred the lines a little bit on this. 
cards, yes, absolutely. Cards, yeah, cards do so much that a lot of starters could also be classified as extenders. Take, uh, right. take uh, the example of Stratos that you just gave. Uh, back in the day, I think you could say Stratos is almost exclusively a starter, just because you didn't have a lot of other cards that could perform functions like outside of right. it, like that Stratos normal summon search. But right. take, take like a hero lives, right? Um, I think most people would consider a hero lives more of a starter card than uh, elemental hero Stratos at this point, because not only do you run more copies of a hero lives. Uh, but a hero lives is something that you like have to start at like the beginning of your play with almost all the time. Whereas Stratos right. is usually like the backup plan, right? So I think context kind of screws things up a lot. But I agree with the general definition. I, I think Sunny makes a good point where the starter is the thing that like gets your play into motion. So for example, you could in theory call Fossil Dig a starter because it gets you to a combo piece that like lets you play or it gets you to a normal summon like over after. But you could also right. view that as like a searcher, and the, that Overaptor is the starter. So uh, there are some there are some blurred yeah. lines here. So I think a set definition is a little tricky to get to. Yeah, that's fair. All right, the next card would be the next one would be Extender. And Skyhawk, I would love for you to take this. I I can. We're we're, we're doing the wheel. We're rotating. Yes. Uh, yes. We're going. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I would I would view as an Extender. Uh, extenders do uh, one of two things. Uh, extenders either uh, push you through interaction, so if your starter gets stopped, the extender is what keeps you going. Uh, if your right. uh, extension cord doesn't quite get to the plug, that extender is the other extension cord that gets you to the plug. Uh, extenders can also, uh, I think, be uh, cards that raise your ceiling. So, for example, uh, an extender could be something that makes your end board better or something that makes it much easier to OTK. So for example, an extender can be something that pushes you uh, pushes you past uh, uh, pushes you past where just your normal like two card combo gets you. Extender is like you get all this on top of it too. So that's what I would say. Extender one pushes you through interaction, two raises the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah, that, that's I, that's very uh, uh, succinct. Uh, very that's... eloquent of me. Thank you. I'll be a yeah. McCray. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Every time I laugh now, it makes me cough because I'm still not all the way recovered. Uh, uh, right, yeah. And Caleb's starting to get it now too. So it's like we start laughing and then we just start coughing. Yeah. So it's on that topic. Just to tangent is there. By the way, sorry for missing Tuesday's episode, everybody. Uh, my voice was basically gone. And then it came back, but it came back like an octave and a half lower for no particular reason, listen, like really gravelly. Listen, listen. I want you to imagine, um, I'm trying to think of that character's name from uh, Monsters, Inc. Sully? I'm watching you, Wazowski. Oh! Uh, 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 Waz. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sound like that. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I, I, my voice came back and I was like, uh, I think I sound kind of like this now. I sound like Sling Blade. A, li a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So. Maybe me some French fried potato. <laughs> yeah, so. I kind of wanted to give it a few more days to fill my voice best. But anyway, we're back. Yeah, back on topic. Okay, so I would love to hear from the two of you. What would you like me to define? Because I've been giving you two. 
Well, uh, I think you've alluded to it before, but uh, I believe one of the other options you wanted to talk about was a defensive card. So what would you consider to be a defensive card? Sure. So I think that there's a couple of different ways that you should think about defensive cards. And what you play of them and how many you play of them is definitely going to depend on whatever deck you're playing as well as the format as a whole. So there's obviously hand traps. These are cards like Ash Blossom and Joy Spring, Ghost Bell and Haunted Mansion. That's correct. Um, Ghost Ogre and... Snow Rabbit. Snow Rabbit, yeah. I have trouble keeping track of what no, they are. But also Skullmeister, Cyframe Gear Gamma, things like that. Totem Collector. Absolutely. So these are all super impactful cards <laughs> that can be played directly from the hand. But also there's other defensive cards that are not hand traps that sometimes people don't always think about because of deck because of whatever deck they're playing. So cards like Solemn Strike and Solemn Judgment, Torrential Tribute, as well as a lot of the cards that we know as Floodgates, things like um Chosen Match, Rivalry or Warlords, Yeah, absolutely. Skill drain, things like that. These are all defensive cards. And in my opinion, the main goal of any defensive card is to restrict your opponent's play, whether that be on turn zero, turn one, two, three, whatever. So in a sense, a defensive card is a card that's defending you from your opponent, either gaining too much advantage or advancing their game state too much before you have a real opportunity to counter that. So defensive cards let you, they promote counterplay with the opponent and they allow you to interact with your opponent in a way that can help you, right? But never for, more never, importantly, by working against your opponent. Never forget that you can use um, Forbidden Droplet defensively by negating your opponent's yeah. monsters, but also offensively by cutting their attack in half. So right, I was actually going to bring that up as as my response to Sunny is I think you're exactly right. But I think the definition in even just like the last three ish years or so has shifted just a little bit. I, I saw Tatson talking about this earlier actually. Uh, hands to this guy, rest in peace. But um, the uh, uh, he mentioned a really interesting we'll point. I will take that. He was <laughs> he was he was mentioning a very interesting uh, point about how defensive cards, in a meta sense, can also be cards that defend against you losing the die roll, like it would turn Droplet into a defensive card because you're putting it in your main deck as a way of preparing for an outcome that is not in your control. So, there's, like, it's it's just, like, a slight tweak in addition, and Droplet can also serve as a defensive card. And then the one other example I wanted to bring up is that uh, engine pieces can also be defensive cards. It's a lot less common in card design now, but I think one of the most interesting examples over, like, the last five years or so is actually Altergeist Conquery. Uh, I think that is a really, really interesting uh, defensive card uh, because of what it adds to the stickiness of the Altergeist setup. Uh, right. So that they can defensive cards can also be part of your game plan and not just generics. Right. All right. Next, I would like to define a blowout. Caleb, you want to take this one? Sure. Um, so my opinion, a blowout would be any card that just kind of demands an answer or your opponent loses their entire Regeki, Lightning Storm, Harpy's Feather Duster. Um, it presents a 
a choice of do I negate this or do I just let this go through? Um, particularly with uh, activating something like Nib, what uh, right right when your opponent makes um, what's the name of that synchro monster? Baron. Right. Yeah, Baron de Floor. Um, particularly if they make it, particularly if you just, if, particularly if you if you're like, I can stop other plays. I'm just going to nib them specifically on the Baron because there's an argument for that. It depends. And obviously, in right. And so then they have to decide whether or not to just lose the Baron or negate. Right. Either way, you're getting rid of the negate. Um, nib isn't the best. That in that example isn't the best, but that kind of activate do you have an answer no you lose your field yeah and i think that i think that it's not even necessarily and this is not me saying you're wrong it's just a, another part of it is that i think it's really when you get down to it something that's going to swing the entire balance of the game state right it's yeah. huge uh, a huge swing in either card advantage or win probability based off of a singular card. Yeah. Again, great examples. Geki, yeah, Lightning absolutely. Storm, Harpy Soda Duster. Uh, Tinkaboo can, can be a blowout depending upon, that's, like, if your opponent's right. got a field full of zombies that's, and you flip it. That's where I was yeah. going next. That's where I was going to follow up with is that blowouts can also sometimes be defensive cards. Like, uh, you could probably consider a lot of Floodgates blowout cards just because, again, it's that same type of uh, we demand an answer now or winning the game is right. very, very unlikely. Uh, I also yeah. think uh, some cards can like kind of flow between being blowouts or not uh, based on the format. For example, like in uh, high, I think some people are starting to refer to like high impact cards and blowout. High impact cards are like hand traps that are blowouts in formats. Yeah. And or like trap cards and blowouts are like spell cards that you activate or stuff like evenly matched so i think there's like a division there for example like in some formats like back in like link cross format or so uh cyframe gear gamma could probably have been considered a blowout card just because of negating a monster effect and removing the body of something like isold or Hulk or link cross but right. uh, now gamma kind of flows between like it's not really a blowout because it's not like crazy high impact but it can be a blowout but also it can be a defensive card like I, I like how Sunny is like always constantly clarifying to Caleb like I don't necessarily think you're wrong but we need to tweak this definition a little bit because there's so much nuance right now it's kind of crazy yeah well yeah yeah <laughs> just like right now there's just a lot of fluidity in yes. yep. in these definitions just because a lot of cards are like some like a great example is token collector is a defensive hand trap but it's also an extender in dino yeah in a lot of context yeah. cards can be lots of things miscellaneousaurus could be a defensive card a starter or an extender right right exactly yeah um forbidden droplet could be a blowout like caleb said it yeah. could be offensive defensive and let's be honest here Forbidden Droplet can absolutely serve as an extender depending on the deck. Yes. Yeah. It was the discard. Yes. Yep. I mean, I've discarded a Tri-Brigade kit off of off of a Droplet, and it got my entire combo going. Oh, yeah. Or you could send um, a Toy Vendor. Effect, yes. Effect a Toy Vendor. Right. I, I can hear the voice of Dylan in the background. <clears throat> Does that make Forbidden Droplet a starter card? 
<laughs> oh my god. Uh, it, based on our definition, yes. It, in certain circumstances, it could act as a star. I mean, I guess in theory. That's the problem, right? Is it, it, with I think these definitions are useful to have because in in like traditional deck building, uh, it is useful to be able to say, okay, I want this many cards to do this thing on their own. So if you want to say right. like, uh, Soul Eating Over Raptor is a starter on its own. Uh, m like sorts, like um, uh, like other one, trying to think, like Alistair the Invoker is a starter on its own. Nadir Servant is a starter on its own. I think those are when it's useful. But when you start to look at the totality of a deck and what pieces are can be what definitions in which contexts, then it starts to get a lot more complicated, and that's where the game gets really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because then you get yeah, because then you get into certain situations where decks can utilize a card in a way that no other deck can. Yes. Uh, again, going back to the dinosaur token collector thing, where that dinosaur is the only deck I know that can use token collector as an extender. There are not that many. There are not very many. Right. Just as an example, um, and then of course with, and then of course the example of Tribal Grade using uh, uh, Forbidden Droplet to kickstart their combos off. Um, People playing Cypher uh, and Gear Gamma as a defensive card to make sure that their high impact spell cards resolve. Like yes, and then it, and then it can also be used as a starter in that situation as well. Yeah, Gamma makes Halka Fibrax. So there's a, there are a lot of instances where cards in, in can be anything in different contexts and it makes you rethink uh traditional ratios but uh i guess there's uh one thing i maybe want to bring up that is probably useful in, in the context of these definitions and maybe i'll have sunny give his opinion on this uh is the difference sure. the difference between a proactive card and a reactive card i ooh, i think that the difference would be a proactive card is a card meant to advance your game state whereas a reactive card is a card meant to answer your opponent's game state and plays yeah that's, that, that's you know my personal off the top of my head thought on it but yeah i think that's exact i think that's good and, and like you you'll commonly hear trap card strategies or or generally like trap heavy decks back heavy decks um referred to as reactive cards because they rely on your opponent right. to do something to be useful yeah. whereas proactive cards a lot of times you. a lot of times reactive strategies actually have more powerful cards yes that is absolutely true right. like, and i guess a lot of that is from the fact of the matter that these strategies are doing what they're doing in an attempt to take away from what the opponent has already done. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, because, like, part of the trade-off is that a lot of the... is that a lot of reactive cards can only be activated under certain circumstances. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for example, Solemn Strike can only be activated in response to an effect monster's effect activated. Or a sign. Or a sign. Yeah. 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 Well, I think... Um, I... You go ahead. You keep going, Caleb. Yeah, so, like, if your opponent just sets three passes, that's... Solemn, that solemn warning just want to sit there and not do anything. Right. Um, else, you know, and then as opposed to, 
oh cool, I have an Oviraptor. Normal summon Oviraptor, let's go let's, I'm off to the races. They're also right. they're also more powerful because uh they because those reactive strategies can't generate as much advantage, they have to be more powerful. Take something like uh I don't know, uh Dogmatica Punishment, right? Uh, objectively speaking, if you just read out that effect, it is completely insane. Destroy, yeah. like, tar tar target and destroy, like, anything on the field. Also send a card from the extra deck. If you assume you're always sending Elder Entity Entis, it is a one card for two pops. It is a, it is straight up a two-for-one trade. But you can only activate it in certain contexts, and you don't generate any, like, actual advantage off of, like, the card itself. You have to be selectively applying it. So being reactive is maybe more powerful in terms of the raw effects you get. Like if that effect was printed on a normal summonable monster, that card would be insane. But they don't You're print right. it there for exactly this reason that Sunny pointed out. Diviner and Herald. It only does one of those things though. It only it's does still the, good. It's still really good, but it only does the send. Punishment gets a pop and a send. That's true. And then also whatever the whatever the send, and then you also get whatever the send does as well. Yeah. Yes. But because punishment is anything. Diviner, yeah. you can't just send. Anything. Yeah. And the diviner is a proactive card that advances your game state, whereas the punishment is a reactive card that reacts to the normal summon of your opponent's diviner. Yes. We did it. So I, I have something else that I would really like to hear Caleb define. Okay. What about consistency cards? Ooh, okay, so consistency card... Consi I think, cons in my opinion, consistency cards is any card that allows you to get access to the things you need out of your deck more easily. Um, things such as a uh, pot of... I almost said duality. Well, I mean, but duality is one. Is. Duality yeah. is one. Uh, pot of prosperity, pot of extravagance, uh, any searcher, like... Uh, Reinforcement of the army, or right. uh, fossil dig stuff like that. Right. Any of those I consider to be uh, consistency cards. Again, anything that helps you get into your deck to get what you need. Right. Um, or more, or like more ray of greed is another cool one. Yes. Basically, cards that let you see as much of your deck as possible as early as possible. Yes. And the reason why you would want to run these cards, uh, I mean, I don't know what we're going to get into that, so I'm just going to go ahead and kind of preface it here. Sure. So people can think about it. Um, it also increases the odds of you getting what you need out of your deck. Right. From So, like, let's say you're in a 40-card deck and you're running nine starters and you just need one of those nine cards. And nine out of, you have, like, a nine out of 40 chance of getting one. Just drawn off the top, I should say. Right. Um, and so then... You normally start with your opening hand of five or six, but then if one of them is like, let's say, the pot of extravagance, you're now able to go through seven or eight. Right. Instead of just those five or six. Yes. So you have a higher chance of getting one of those nine cards. Right. I, I think that that's a great definition. I don't have anything else to add to that. Skyhawk? Uh, yeah, I think that's fantastic. I would say maybe just a couple random tidbits would be uh, this game has a really funny relationship with consistency cards. Uh, it, yes. seems, it seems most yeah. of the very generic ones find their way onto the ban list in some way, shape, or form. Upstart sure. Goblin has been everywhere on the list. Uh, Into the Void <laughs> went on the list after it started seeing like any amount of play at all. Uh, Pot of Desires has recently been bouncing around. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
uh, like a ton of those generic powerful consistency cards find their way on the list because like seeing more pieces of your deck that you want to see more often is just insanely powerful in this game where cards are the resource system yes yeah and particularly and particularly in a deck where once you get a like if you draw into a specific card you have access to every card in your deck just about yeah. importantly yeah. consistency does not always equal power uh tunes right. uh, are arguably the most consistent deck in the game still very bad uh <laughs> so you have to be careful to oh, make no, sure you, you, yeah you're gonna hurt people's feelings i was gonna say awesome. i was gonna say the deck is very very cool but it is quite weak it, 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 from a competitive perspective but yeah. um like so you have to be careful about how many consistency cards you're putting in your deck in theory you could play like 25 consistency cards but if your hand is all consistency cards and no plays you're not doing anything true and particularly if they're all once per, hard ones for turns yeah um, and also tunes i can sit i like to call decks like tunes where they're got like a very solid consistent engine but no inboard i like to call them uh i like to call them engines with nowhere with no car yeah true or engines with nowhere to go are there any other cards that either of you would like to see any other terms you'd like to see defined before we get into the next part of the podcast uh actually i have i think this would be funny to talk about uh, uh, Sunny, could you explain to me what a brick is? Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a brick is a card that you run for the sake of your deck, but you don't want to see it in your opening hand. So, a great, 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 great example of this is Deskbot001 in last format Sword Soul deck lists. So, Deskbot001 was a card that you would bring out using Christian Hockey Fibrax. But the issue is, yeah, you can summon it from your hand or deck with Hockey Fibrax's effect, but if the card is in your hand, then that is one less card in your hand that you could use for other plays. So I can access the Despot 001 from my deck <coughs> as soon as you make Hockey Fibrax. Right, I, I can access it almost at any point. So I would rather be five or six cards in my opening hand to either be starters, extenders, or consistency cards. That way I can play through my opponent's defensive cards more effectively. So seeing that card in my opening hand essentially be a dead card in my hand <clears throat> makes it to where that card is doing nothing to help me or advance my game state in, while it's in my hand. Or even helping you to defend. Right, the card does absolutely nothing except extend a combo past what it normally would, but it's better off in the deck because it's searchable, right? So another term for this is a garnet because of the card Gem Knight Garnet. The, the original brick. Right. I don't, know if the, I don't know about the original brick, but it, it was the one that codified the concept of I'm running this card and I don't want to draw it. Right. Yeah. So Gem Knight Garnet was if i'm not mistaken was it gem knight fusion is that which was, so, uh, was brilliant brilliant. Uh, brilliant fusion and brilliant fusion cannot send from the hand right it has to send from the deck yes right so if you saw it in your hand then whatever copies of brilliant fusion you had were completely useless because you only ran one because you don't want to see it because it does not advance your game state yep and uh, oh man that's a that's a that's a whole other can of worms about uh, how many copies of your garnets you should run, but maybe we'll get there right, later. Yeah. But what but, I'll say is, for a more 
a more concise definition. It is a card that you play for your, it's a combo piece that you play that does not actually, it's not a starter or extender, but you play it because it, it you need it for your combo, but you don't want to see it in your hand. Yeah. So when you draw a brick, you have basically one less card in your hand than you would normally have because it's useless for the most part. Yep. And as a quick terminology yeah. interlude for uh, for maybe newer players who are listening to this, uh, we actually just gave two great examples of a hard brick versus a soft brick. A soft brick is a card that if you draw it, you can still use it as part of your combo or your plays, but you'd really rather right. not draw it. And the, that example of Despot 001, that can still be summoned from the hand by Hulk is great. Gemini Garnet would be a hard brick because it cannot be sent... Uh, with uh, Brilliant Fusion from the hand, only the deck, so it is a hard brick because you actually can't do anything with it and you need it to in your deck to do other combos. A, a great example is in Edison format. If you're only running two Deep Sea Dealer in your deck and you have both of them in your hand, then they're both bricks. But if you only have one of them in your hand and the other one in the deck, then it's a starter. <laughs> yeah. I love definitions. <laughs> right. Yeah. Same thing with Destiny Hero Malicious. It's, if it's in your hand, it's a brick. No, it, um, to be fair, it's a soft brick. You can still like discard it off of like Phoenix Wind Blast, or even preferably Destiny Draw. Right. Um, and, or like worst case scenario, oh no, my monster's been fiendish chained. Tribute summon. Yeah, it's a thing you are allowed to do. Yes. It's not great, but you can do it. Yeah. Listen, I'm not saying I've never tribute summoned Malicious. I'm just saying I prefer not to. Oh, same. <laughs> Okay, so I think we've got the definitions out of the way, like three quarters of the way through the episode. <laughs> so Good. let me just take a moment to thank our sponsors very quickly, and we'll get back on into it. So we, of course, want to thank our last sponsor here, ETB Games. ETB Games is a one-stop shop for all of your card game needs. You can get everything for Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, Digimon, or whatever other card game you're playing. They have sleeves, deck boxes, singles and sealed product, binders, playmats, whatever you need for the games that you love. In addition, they also have tabletop playing areas, figurines, paint for them, dice, big mats for the tabletops, books, whatever you need for them. And it's great, also a great place to hang out and play video games. So if you're interested, check out ETB Games in Alexandria, Louisiana. And, of course, they do have an, a Battle City Monthly, so you should absolutely ch check that out if you are interested. Last week, uh, last week when we had it, it was an Edison tournament. Yes, and it was a lot of fun. I got third in Swiss, by the way. I got fourth in Swiss. So, yeah, both had top four, which is very cool. Very good. It's not like we haven't been playing Edison three to four nights a week for the last month. <laughs> later, right? Yeah. Congratulations. So, Thank you so much. So let's go ahead and get on into the actual deck build. Right. So we've talked about the different kinds of cards that you can put into your deck. Let's talk about how to actually construct the deck. So we do absolutely have a couple of different things to remember when we construct our deck. So first, we need to know the restraints of the deck. We are, in Yu-Gi-Oh, allowed anywhere from 40 to 60 cards in our main deck, 15 in our side deck, and 15 in our extra deck. And 
when you have this 40 to 60 card main deck, it gives you a ton of flexibility and a ton of different ways that you can go about deck building. In addition to that, you're allowed anywhere from zero to three copies of any one card in your deck. So you could run 13 different copies. You could run three copies of 13 different cards and then one extra one and just try to see as many as much consistency as possible or you could run 40 different individual cards or you could run 60 individual cards it doesn't matter you can construct your deck however you want because at the end of the day it's your deck right and Yu-Gi-Oh, in my opinion is the most intensive on deck building out of any of the major card games part of that has to do with the fact that we don't rotate out cards Cards that were around and on the ban list back in 2004 are perfectly legal. Right. Also, we are not restricted by things like lands or energies. Our resource pool cards themselves as opposed to there is a ramping energy source you have to deal with. Right. So this ability to access your entire deck the only thing restraining you in Yu-Gi-Oh! is the cards themselves and how you construct your deck to use them. Also, you're one normal summoner card? Yes, and even <laughs> that can be gotten around, if you're being Easily. So, when constructing your deck, you have to keep these things in mind. But there are ways to increase both the power ceiling and the consistency of your deck. So, for my personal preference, I want my deck to be as consistent as possible. I'm fine with losing a little bit of the power ceiling of my combos in the interest of increasing the consistency. So, I was never the biggest fan of the Christian Hockey Fibrax and Aurora Dawn combo lines in Sword Soul because it cost you, you had to run Despot 001 as a brick. And decreasing your consistency with that brick, especially me who seemed to see Despot 001 every single game, <laughs> every other hand when you go with me. Right. Literally every other hand. Yeah. So putting yourself in this position where you decrease your consistency, but you increase your power ceiling, you really have to, in my mind, kind of figure out that trade-off and figure out if that trade-off is worth it. So in the end, as much as I like my consistency, I did decide that that power ceiling was worth playing the one brick. But then there's also ways that you can counteract that one brick by doing things like increasing your deck size. This is something that has been a very new revelation in Yu-Gi-Oh! Because for the longest time, people wanted to be at 40 cards no matter what. And then of course, you know, some people are like, I could just run a 39 card deck by running Upstart. Or 37 for yeah, the longest. when Upstart was at 3. Right. I mean, that's the reason Upstart is on the list, because... It, it is essentially you are now running 39 cards. It's a blank card in your deck. It does nothing but let you get to the next one. So that's all in the interest of increasing consistency. Whereas now, these days, people are running 41, 
42, 45, 60 card decks even. Because mathematically, what they'll do is they'll say, well, I was running 13 starters, 14 extenders, 10 defensive cards, and three blowouts before. Whereas now I'm running, you know, say 22 starters and 21 extenders and 12 defensive cards and five bloods and two bricks, right? I think that that adds up to 60. I could be wrong. Uh, I'm in the ballpark. The point is though, that by increasing deck size, you actually decrease your opportunity to see your bricks in your deck. Yeah, because at 60 cards, if you're running two bricks, that's just shuffle, 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 look at the top card, one in 30 chance, you'll get one of them. Right, more or less. As opposed to if you're at 40, uh, that'd be 120. One, yeah, 120. Right. So there's something to be said for increasing deck size and it actually not really impacting your consistency as much because you're adding starters and you're adding extenders and you're giving yourselves more opportunities to find the cards that you need while decreasing your chances of seeing cards you don't need, you don't want to see. So I think that you really have to decide whether or not you're comfortable making that trade-off when you're in the deck building process. I find myself these days usually at 42 to 43 cards, but my consistency doesn't really drop that much because I usually, they have a, um, a, a calculator that you can find online. I'll put a link in the description. Right. You can put your deck size, how many starters you're running or whatever. Say I'm running 14 fifth starters. And it can tell me what my odds of seeing at least one starter are in a five card opening hand. Or even two. Right. That's called a hypergeometric calculator for those who want to look it up. Right. It, there are multiple different ones if you don't like the one that's in the description down below. So you should definitely check it out, though. But my point is, with all these different ways to get into deck building and all these different ways to approach it, it can be kind of intimidating at times, especially if you watch a deck profile and somebody says, ah, yeah, well, you know, I knew that I had like a 78% chance of opening a starter. So that, that's how they know that. Right. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, uh, but personally the way i kind of deck build particularly if i don't have a deck list to go off of um is i sit down with all the cards i identify what's what's starter for the deck what's an extender blah blah blah, blah. and then personally i like to have uh nine to twelve starters depending upon the deck uh and then about nine to fifteen uh def hand traps and defensive cards I like playing defensively. Uh, <laughs> and then from there, the rest, you know, then maybe one or two blowouts, and then the rest is extenders for a 40-card deck. Yep. I like to keep it at 40. Kind of a Yugi Boomer in that, that, in that uh, sense. I was going to say, there, there is, uh, lately, there's been a very interesting divide between, especially among really high-level players, between the uh, 40 cards as gospel. Uh, you don't go above it except in very specific circumstances but you see right. a lot of lists in top cuts right now that are playing like 46 47 cards even like 51 52 
Uh, and I think one of the decks that is super indicative of this new trend is the the punk uh, engine deck, whether it's Brave Punk uh, or, or Punk punk uh, Therian. Uh, because so many of the individual cards are so powerful and you can see a, like a bunch of different cards in combination that get you to the same result or that get you to a bunch of different results, you can play a higher deck count partially to avoid drawing specific cards that you don't want to see. So for some of the punk decks that they're that are playing the uh I can't remember the name of the card, it lets you go into the fusion. Um that uh it's like a kinda it's like a brick, but because you're playing such a a high deck count and a whole bunch of other cards that can protect your plays through the brave cards of the theory and it's still worth playing. Uh 40 is not like hard gospel anymore. But one thing that I think uh we have to add to this I discussion. Is... I think yeah. that that was popularized the most, not to cut you off, but the prank kids brave decks that were going yeah. around, you know, uh, in February and March and April. I think at one point people had just decided that 60 cards was the best build. Uh, and it Which ended, is crazy. Yeah. It ended up being that, uh, I think it was, it was a 40 card list that ended up winning the YCS, but so many of the lists that were doing well. I don't think it 60. was. I th no, I think I I think was, forty two was it forty two or something? It was closer to forty, but it was still above forty. Um, the uh, yeah, I think one thing that also gets missed when you talk about the conversation with, uh, for example, when you're talking about Deskbot zero zero one and Sword Soul, is the power level of a format can also determine the types of trades you make for consistency's sake. So uh, one example from my uh, time playing the game. Uh, is the, the Necrofusion Fluffle decklist. Uh, in the vast majority of formats, main decking Necrofusion is a horrible decision. Uh, it's bad going second. Uh, it's very conditional going first. And it causes a whole bunch of other problems with like cloggy hands and consistency problems. But in order to take a deck with... Um, that like low of a power ceiling at least perceived at the time uh and have it compete in a format where people are playing very high impact cards and people are playing decks with a really high power ceiling you have to raise your ceiling a lot of the time to beat those decks so if you edge to the side of consistency you get blown out by people who draw more powerful cards than you do so in that context i made the decision to main deck that card because the format necessitated that you have to roll the dice and go all in. So that consistency to uh, to power ceiling trade-off is also format dependent and not just deck dependent. Right. Yeah, I think that there's a lot to be said for the format dictating how you build your deck also. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, you really have to be happy with what you do. And if you're not happy with how you've built your deck, whether it's the test, whether you're doing test hands and they don't come up quite like you like, or you are just looking at your deck list and you just say, man, I just don't like it. I don't like the way this looks. I, I want more of this in there or I want more of yeah. this. Or like, I wish I could fit this particular card in there because it's, you know, it's a card that the deck can utilize that no other decks can utilize. That's a good card. Never right? be afraid. I was very Never be exactly. afraid to try things. Never be scared. Exactly. And that's what I'm trying to get at. 
for example, I was very pilled on the Gamma package in Sword Soul for the longest. I, I still think that it's extremely impactful because Sword Soul can utilize Cypher Gear Gamma, or Driver rather, better than most other decks. So what would be a brick in most decks in Sword Soul, Driver can be an extender. So you can special summon one of your Tenyis, tribute summon Driver, and it turns all of your Tenny cards on because it's a non-effect monster. So say you ran out of monks or something like that, Driver becomes a usable card, as well as you can tribute summon Driver and then special summon Adhara and make Yazi. <clears throat> so you have to keep all of these incidental synergies in mind also. Uh, another thing, a lot of people ran particular hand traps with when they're when they were running the adventure synchro uh, i think they were calling it rad or sad or bad or whatever they're calling it at the time but it was like a rose dragon adventure synchro deck and they ran a particular suite of hand traps because of their incidental synergies with the deck they were running effect veiler because it was a level one tuner and same with ash and ghost Bell being level three tuners they picked these cards over say something like imperm because imperm is not a monster it's not a tuner it's not a usable card for your combos so it's interesting to me to see when people are deck building how sure we say you know run you know a dozen starters a dozen extenders a dozen defensive cards and some blocks but realistically you have to see where the lines blur and understand that there's a lot more that goes into it than X number of this, X number of that. The X number of this, X number of that is a starting point of, I have no idea where to start. Right, it's a general rule of thumb. Yeah, it, it gives you a starting point for you to look at and go, okay, this just looks bad because this, 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 and this, so I can manipulate, okay, I need fewer of this, but more of this, let's throw in this. It, it's a starting point. Right. So... If we're going to take away, if, if you can give one piece of advice to the people that are, to the people and players that are listening to this episode, just one piece of advice, one real big takeaway that you would like people to have from this episode, what would it be? Skyhawk, I'll start with you. Uh, the established knowledge that is out there is extremely, extremely good to use. Uh, especially speaking as somebody who uh, likes to stray outside of it a lot, uh, there is a reason that for a very long time people were super successful playing out 40 cards. And that's because as a initial setup guideline, it is like it is a fantastic rule to follow when you are first starting because it gives you uh, a, a template to use that has proven results and it does extremely well. But you do not have to stay inside the box. If you have a good idea, give it a try. A lot of the reason people do well is because they try things. A lot of them don't work. Uh, and a lot of them are going to be bad. And you're going to play them and you're going to find out. But like we said before, do not be afraid to say, Hmm, it's weird. I feel like my hands are getting kind of cloggy. The format doesn't necessarily need me to play as many hand traps. Maybe I can widen out the list a little bit and see if that changes how this deck plays. Or maybe right. you have an idea like, 
uh, maybe I'll try out this uh, extra deck card and I'm, I will play this like solely as a consistency piece like uh, use all of the established knowledge that is out there but don't be afraid to stray from it just because it works for a lot of people give yourself the room to experiment okay listen, listen to the old sorry <laughs> summary listen to the old listen to the old heads but also listen to yourself that's fair um my word of advice is net decking literally copying someone else's yep. deck card for card is not inherently a bad thing that's a great 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 piece of advice yeah um because because I, I remember back back in the day it's far less now because people a lot of people, not more people now understand that's not a terrible thing right um you know if you you know would look at net decking as just this bad thing where you didn't build your deck so you didn't really earn the wins because you're not the one who built the deck right you got it off of the internet you net decked it yeah um that's not inherently a bad thing Especially these days. Yeah, especially if you're just picking up a deck. Um, again, because it gives you uh, a better place to start than just here's the here are the starters and extenders. Da -da -da -da. Right. Because it's someone who's already gone through and done that, and it's figured out this is the build that works for me. And then you get to do the fun part, in my opinion, is sit there and playtest and playtest and discover. Okay, I don't like this much of this card because I'm seeing it too much. So deck that down. I'm not seeing this one enough. I need to see it more. Deck that back up. And you sit there. Start. That's when you start manipulating the deck to make it your own. Right. So my piece of advice actually plays off of the last thing that Caleb said there, which is deck building is only the first step. You don't have to be like people like Pack and Hani and Cody Angelov and Jesse Cotton, where they sit and they play test with a deck for 15 hours. But when you're learning a deck for the first time, I absolutely recommend doing test hands or playing with your friends and getting a feel for the deck. Because the best way to make informed decisions and choices about your deck building would be to understand the ins and outs of the deck and what cards you like or don't like seeing at certain times. So the more you play a deck and the more comfortable you are with the deck, the more comfortable you will be making decisions on that deck. So like Caleb said, start off, grab a deck list off, off the internet. That's more than fine. That's totally acceptable. I personally prefer doing a YouTube because sometimes I'll also do like here is the my go here was my go-to combo. Right. And then you can kind of start going, oh wait a minute. Instead of summoning this, you could have summoned this and give you this other one. Exactly. So understanding the deck lets you make informed decisions. And the best way to make informed decisions is to play the deck. So Grab a list offline and then take it into EDO Pro or wherever you do your play testing with your friends, whatever. And see with your friends if need be. Right. Proxy the cards, print out copies of the cards off the internet, put them in sleeves and get an idea of how the deck functions if you don't want to commit to it in paper right away. But <laughs> an informed player makes informed decisions 
and those informed decisions impact your deck building. So I know that that wasn't very concise, but just to make it more so, I would say just be informed about the deck through playtesting, and from then you can make more informed decisions on the deck building. So that's my piece of advice. It's good advice. That is a that is a fantastic point. So, well. I think that's pretty much going to wrap it up. The only thing we have left is the podcast question of the day. So the previous question of the day was what card was unassuming on release, but ended up being good later on. We had some good answers. Masquerade the Blazing Dragon. Very true. Uh, because on release, it was like 15 cents. And now it's like $40 or something. Mm -hmm. Foxy Tune is a great example. The Basically the entire punk archetype, really. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Sharkusai. I'm actually unfamiliar oh, with Sharkusai. Uh, I actually mentioned that earlier in this episode. Sharkusai is the punk card that lets you go into the uh, the fusion. Uh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Got it. So, yeah, there's absolutely some cards out there that you didn't really think about it on release, but now the more, the longer the card's been out, the better it's gotten. We, I, I know we had some answers from Twitter, things like Smoke Grenade of the Thief. That's that's the ultimate that's, example. <laughs> right. That card was bad for 20 years. Yeah. Close to it, yeah. Yeah. It was good in exactly one deck, and not even good. There were better things you could do with that deck. Before Infernoble, you mean? Yes. I'm talking about old Gear Feed Warriors. Yep. Can we yep. just take a moment to appreciate how stupid Infernoble was? God. <laughs> that deck was crazy. Anyway. So today's podcast question of the day is when you are deck building, what is the approach that you like to take? If you want to answer it, you can find us on in our discord server, which there's a link to in the description down below. Also, if you want to answer, you can find it on our Twitter account, which is at top cut podcast. And as always, I just want to throw it back out there. You can be sure to check out Millennium Threads and Dragon Shield, as well as our TCG Player affiliate link, our Patreon. All of that is in the description down below. And of course, we want to thank Skyhawk for coming on and talking with us. Always a pleasure. Uh, super fun. Uh, you can find me at uh, skyhawk sings on twitter uh on youtube at uh, giant skyhawk uh and uh this weekend i'm actually going to be on fifth rate duelist stream uh you can find Ooh. me saturday and sunday uh i'll be doing a master duel fluffle lesson uh for her uh Ooh. fundraising stream and i'll probably be on Yu-Gi-Oh character among us uh, and I, I have a pretty good character planned out so you won't Love miss it. that wonderful all right so be sure to check all of that out. And until next time, have a great weekend, everyone. Take care, everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.